You guys can have a seat while we pray together. Heavenly Father, we uh, say amen to that song that we want our, our value, our wealth, our riches uh, to be um, viewed in light of the cross. And uh, Lord, um, anything that's good in us is because of you, Lord. May we boast only in the cross of Christ and uh, glory in his name. Lord, um, we want to be a church that makes much of Jesus and proclaims the gospel and tells the world of the message of the cross. And so, Lord, as we now have made our commitments to help serve in uh, this building effort, Lord, I want to, first of all, thank you that you have saved us and ever made us care about your church in the first place. Thank you that you saved us and given us uh, a, a desire to see lost people come to know you. Lord, thank you for every single person in this church who has made a commitment, whether in construction or support or both, Lord, whatever it may be. Thank you for every person. Lord, bless them, Lord, for the sacrifice that they're making. Thank you for Builders for Christ and for the ministry that you've given them for 40 years. And now, Lord, to be able to add uh, our project into a long list of others that they've done. Lord, I pray a special blessing on Lawrence Corley. Thank you for him and his desire to serve you um, at this stage of life uh, with his own challenges and the way he wants to use his days for your glory. I pray, Lord, you would bless him. Lord, um, thank you for each and every church that's going to be sending people from across the country to help serve us, Lord. We just want to give you thanks for that blessing. And now, Lord, we ask you for some things. Lord, we ask for your continued favor um, on this project, Lord. Um, thank you for the financial commitments that people are keeping and have already been turned in. Thank you, Lord, for the uh, prior um, approvals from the city of Beaver Creek this past week. Lord, there's an answer to prayer. And Lord, we ask for favor in the remaining um, permitting process from the county and others. Lord, I pray that you would let us be a church that truly cares in our hearts for our community, for the relationships amongst the people and the neighbors that we have around us, that we would see needs and meet them and make much of Jesus in the process. I pray, Lord, that you would um, bless our church as we work together on this project, that there would be a unity and a camaraderie and a connection that happens. Lord, also, I want to pray your protection against the enemy's schemes. We know that he would love to uh, rip this church apart and to see, put a blemish on the name of Christ uh, through uh, our lives. And so, Lord, I ask you would protect us from the schemes of the wicked one. Lord, uh, we pray that you would be glorified in this project and that you indeed would make your name known. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Thank you guys so much for your uh, support and participation in this project. It's been fun to walk through this with everybody so far and I uh, love seeing the way that the Lord is bringing this all together. And uh, I'm grateful for each and every one of you. I do just want to reiterate to everybody who turned in a commitment card or will be turning in a commitment card, uh, we, our logistics team will be processing these over the next uh, couple weeks, making plans, putting people on teams together and starting to send, up follow, send out follow-up communication. So keep your ears is open for that. Uh, this morning, we're going to get into God's word by looking at Acts chapter 3. 
So if you have your Bible today, um, you can open it up to Acts chapter 3. As you're turning there, I just want to take a a moment and just reiterate the blessing that it is to have every single person here with us today. Um, You know, whether you're a regular UBC attender, whether you're new with us, um, you know, it's just a blessing each and every week. We want to be a church that helps people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ who know him and make him known. And we hope that you get that uh, sense, you catch that vision while you're here with us uh, in this service today. So if you're new with us, it might be helpful for you to know that we're preaching and teaching straight through the book of Acts. Um, This is week eight in our teaching series through the book of Acts. It's going to take us about a year and a half altogether to make it through the 28 chapters in the book of Acts. We've covered the first two and a half chapters of Acts, and today we're going to pick up at the end of chapter three. But before we do that, I just want to give a brief summary of what's gone on so far. So in Acts chapter one, we have the resurrected Christ uh, appearing to his disciples and then ascending to heaven. Before he ascends to heaven, he tells his disciples, hey, I want you to go wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come on you. And when he does, you're going to have power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So in chapter two, uh, end of one and into chapter two, the disciples go back to Jerusalem. In chapter two, the day of Pentecost occurs. The Holy Spirit comes on, comes on the disciples and they indeed start to witness in power in Jerusalem and many people are saved. In chapter two, we see that uh, the new community of believers starts to commit themselves to several foundational elements of the church. They commit themselves to learning the apostles' teaching, to being in fellowship with one another, meeting each other's needs. They uh, commit to breaking bread and opening up their homes, doing life together, and they commit to praying and, and praising God together as a church. And so the Lord was working through them in some powerful ways. That's the end of chapter two. Last week, we got into the beginning of chapter three. Thank you, Scott Dixon. If you're watching from Naples, uh, then we are uh, glad that, that you uh, preached last week. Thank you. Um, but uh, last week at the beginning of chapter three, we saw that God used, uh, worked through Peter to heal a crippled man. And so the crowds were filled with awe and wonder at what God was doing, these amazing works. And so that's the story that progresses us into the second half of chapter three today that we're going to cover. Today, we're going to look at verses 11 through 26. We're going to work our way through those verses, unpack several points of teaching as we go. And in the end, I want to just give you two practical takeaways, personal applications. And I hope, here's what I hope happens. I hope you leave here today praising God that if you're saved, your sin debt has been paid in full. Amen. That's what we're thankful for today. We want to give God all the glory. So let's pick up in verse 11. Verse 11, uh, the scripture says, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. All right. So it says that there's this man and he clung to Peter and John. Just to be real basic about it, that's the man who was just healed, all right? This is the, the crippled man that Scott preached about last week. I love how it says that he clung to them. Uh, when you read that, don't read it as like, oh, he's still crippled, so he needed to kind of use these guys as a crutch. Think of it as he's excited and he's hanging out with them celebrating together side by side, like a basketball team or a championship sports team. When they win the big game, they're celebrating, they're hugging, they're embracing, they're celebrating together. That's what's going on here, and this draws a crowd. 
crowd. The crowd is astounded. They start to gather in this portico area. A portico is like a, a colonnade style porch that was around the, um, the, uh, the edges of the temple. And uh, here's what's funny to me um, as a pastor is in chapter three, verse one, Scott preached on this last week. Uh, it says that when this man was healed, it was about the ninth hour of the day, which is 3 p.m., and if you study Jewish history, it was at this time of the day that uh, people would go into the temple and they would pray. And so can you imagine, like, you're having a prayer meeting, all these people gathered, and all of a sudden there's just this big ruckus, right? Like, it's just anybody who kind of gets stuffy during a prayer meeting, like, shh, keep it quiet. Like, you would have really struggled in that moment, right? Like, this is what was going on. All of a sudden there was a big you know, uh, uproar and, and things that were going on were exciting. And it says that all the people came together. Look what happens next in verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people saying, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? All right. So remember, Peter is now addressing a crowd of Jews and uh, Peter's got this crowd. So, you know, Peter's a, a preacher. So anytime there's a crowd, you know, preacher's going to take advantage of the opportunity to preach. So he preached his first sermon in Acts 2. Here he is in Acts 3. He starts to, to preach. And what he says to these Jews is, why do you wonder at this? And the reason why he's asking that is because the Jews were very familiar with the life, the ministry, the teaching, um, the wonders that Jesus had done. Um, they were familiar with uh, the fact that Jesus had multiplied bread and fish and fed thousands. Some of them might have even been in the crowds. Can you imagine some of these people having walked side by side and interacted with Lazarus after he was raised from the dead? Some of these people um, were the folks that uh, probably interacted with the blind man or the man who had demons cast out of him. And, you know, all these stories, they knew who Jesus was and they knew who had the power to work miracles. It was the Lord Jesus, the Messiah that they had been waiting for. And so Peter says, why do you wonder at this? Don't look at us, he says. We didn't do this healing. We're not the amazing ones. We, we can't make lame people walk. This was done in Jesus' name. So Peter was quick to do what? To point the crowds to the power of Jesus. Peter's words in verse 13 and following. Peter says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life. Which is an ironic statement in and of itself, isn't it? You kill, how can you kill the author of life? Well, the only way you can kill him is if he lets you. That's why Jesus would say in the Gospels, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord, right? So Jesus gave up his life. They killed him. Jesus gave up his life. But catch what Peter's doing here in verses 13 through 15. You know, what he's really doing is he's glorifying God, but he's also calling out the Jews He's referencing the events of Luke chapter 23, where Pilate came before the crowds and said, hey, you know, uh, I don't find any fault in this man, Jesus, that's worthy of death. And the crowd said, no, crucify him, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Remember Barabbas, the criminal, truly worthy of death. Yet the crowd said, no, free Barabbas. Give us, uh, we want to see Jesus crucified. And so the, Peter says to this crowd in the portico, you killed the author of life, whom what? Whom God raised from the dead. To this we are all witnesses. 
So God raised him from the dead, right? They hung him on a cross. God raised him from the grave, right? They mocked him for being king of the Jews. Jesus, you know, God made him king of kings and Lord of lords, right? These Peter and the disciples, they were witnesses. Remember, after Jesus' resurrection, he appeared to them for 40 days. And he taught them, and he walked with them, and he ate with them, and he touched them. And now they were witnesses to the resurrected Christ. And Peter says in verse 16, And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man the perfect health, this perfect health in the presence of you all. All right, so Peter is saying like, you guys know this crippled man. You walked in and out of this temple every day when they would set him at the beautiful gate and he would beg for alms. You've seen him from the time he was in his mother's womb. He was born with this injury. Now he's raised. You've seen this man uh, healed up and made strong. And he says, this was all done in the name of Jesus. I loved Scott Dixon's message last week where he said what? That there is power and authority and hope in the name of Jesus. Faith in Jesus, right? The holy one, the righteous one, the, the author of life. Man, it's, it's the name of Jesus that is life to us. What a beautiful name it is we just sang, the name of Jesus. And it's the powerful name of Jesus that resulted in the healing of this crippled man. Peter continues speaking to the Jewish crowds in verse 17, and he says, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. Now, wait a second. I, you know, it struck me here. How can Peter say that they acted in ignorance? Right? They, these were the Jewish crowds. They would have been aware of Jesus' works. They knew what he did. They saw his miracles. They heard his teaching. They had known of who he was. So how could Peter say that they acted in ignorance? Here's the answer. He could say it in the same way that Jesus could hang on the cross and say, Father, forgive them. These people don't know what they're doing. Jesus didn't mean that the people weren't innocent. Excuse me, Jesus didn't mean that the people were innocent. Peter didn't mean that either. Jesus did mean that they were ignorant. And that's what Peter means here too. Right? What he means is that they mocked Jesus as the king of the Jews without realizing that he actually was. Right? They, they rejected him as the son of God because they didn't recognize that he actually was the son of God. They killed the author of life because they didn't recognize that's who he really was. They were ignorant, but they were not innocent. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful this morning that God has grace for ignorant people. Amen. How many of us in our days have acted ignorantly when it comes to Jesus? We live lives of rebellion against him. We go off into our sin. We have moments and times where we rebel hard-heartedly against Christ. And we act in uh, really committing treason against the God of the universe, not even realizing what we're doing. And yet that same Jesus goes to the cross and he dies for our sins. We don't really know what we're doing. <laughs> and although we're not innocent, God has grace for our ignorance. Praise be to the Lord. Verse 18 and 19, his grace is emphasized all the more. Verse 18 says, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So in just a moment, in the next few verses, Peter's gonna go deeper into the fulfillment of the words of the prophet. But right now, what Peter is doing is he is vividly pointing out the fact that the Jewish crowds were guilty and he's making sure that they are aware of their ignorance and yet at the same time, 
He's called, he says, God has grace for you. You're, you're ignorant. You don't realize what you're doing, even though you did it. So what's the proper response? Verse 19 says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be what? Blotted out. I love this verse. Peter says that the proper response to this sinful ignorance is to repent. What does repent mean? To repent means to have a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. It means to be thinking one way, but you turn from that thinking and you embrace the truth and that helps you to live in light of the truth. And Peter says that that's the proper response. Hey, Jewish crowds, you must no longer be ignorant about Jesus. You must believe in him for who he really is. Hey, people in UBC, people who are here today, whoever's listening right now you know, to this message, who, you know, we can no longer live in ignorance. We need to know who Jesus really is. And once we realize it, we turn from our false beliefs, we embrace the true beliefs about Jesus, and we start to live accordingly. That's repentance. And when you repent, your sins are what? Blotted out. That word blotted out, phrase blotted out means wiped away completely, permanently erased. All the debt is paid. Um, before I was in ministry, I worked in sales for a couple of years. And sometimes I would meet with a, a customer and, um, you know, they would make, I would make a sale. They would pay their bill. They pay the entire annual bill up front in one payment. And when that uh, payment was entered into our system, the account balance would come back on their report and the balance would have these three little letters right by it. P-I-F. Paid in full. Piff. Right? Piff. I'm grateful that my sins are piff. Colossians 2.13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. Right? He blotted it out, wiped it away, paid it in full. Right? He did it with his legal demands. This he set aside. How? By nailing it to the cross. Guys, how does our sin debt get erased? How, how does the full price of our sin get paid? How does our sin get blotted out? It only happens through the cross of Jesus Christ. My wealth is in the cross, we just sang. His wounds have paid my ransom. It's the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all of our unrighteousness. Listen, don't hear the words about blotting out and get the wrong idea. Don't think that God is treating our sin as no big deal He's not just sweeping it under the rug. There's no flippancy in the heart of God about our sin. He sent his son to die for it. So the price has been paid. And all the payment has been fully made. And our account of debt before God has been reconciled. All of that was done. How? By Jesus nailing it to the cross. The price for your sin, for my sin, and the sin for everyone who would believe fully paid at the cross. It's not, not 99% paid for those of us who believe. God's not gonna call you like a debt collector and say, hey, you still got a little bit more? 100% paid in full by the blood of Jesus, right? It is what? Finished. Finished. Acts chapter three again, verse 19. Peter says, repent that your sins may be blotted out. And in verse 20, he says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. 
So again, you need to catch what Peter is saying right here. He's saying that Jesus resurrected, ascended into heaven. He's going to come again, and he's going to um, really bring a time of restoration to the world. We don't know the day or the hour that Christ is going to return, right? We, Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour except the Father. Restoration's going to come. I don't know about you, but I look at the world right now, and I think, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pay attention to what's going on in the Ukraine and Russia all around the world, we see the devastation and the loss of life and the atrocities and the wickedness, and we see it kind of spreading from country to country on a larger scale, and we think to ourselves, Lord, something is wrong here. This is not the way it's meant to be. And so in our hearts, we have this longing saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I hope if you weren't planning on it, or maybe if you heard the announcement today, I hope you'll join us tonight at 4.30 over at East for our time where we can learn and discuss and and pray for the Russia-Ukraine uh, situation that's going on. Hope you'll join us tonight. But one day Jesus is going to come again. And he's going to make right every wrong. And we long for that day. So Peter says that for a long time the prophets of Israel had been talking about this coming restoration with the Messiah. That's what verses 22 through 25 are all about. Uh, verse 22 Peter says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. All right, so this is Peter quoting Moses' words from Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 and 16. And Peter says, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. Right, the days of the coming Messiah, the days of the refreshing that he would bring, the days of restoration. And so he says in verse 25, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers. So imagine Peter talking to these Jews and he's basically saying, hey, if anybody should have known that Jesus was the Messiah and he was going to bring restoration into this world, you should know it. Because you heard it from Moses and you heard it from all the prophets from the time of Samuel on. You've got this written down in your law. You have the scriptures that you've been able to read. And, and he says, in fact, this was given to you all the way back in the time of Abraham. And so you should have been listening to the teaching of Jesus the Messiah when he was here. Because you didn't, you deserve the consequences. Your, your souls, you deserve to be destroyed, he says. Talk about Peter being a fire and brimstone preacher, right? Pulling no punches, just going straight for it. But here's the truth, you guys. And everybody, I think, in here who's a believer knows this. Everybody in this room, everybody who ever hears the message of Jesus must decide what they're going to do with the teachings of Christ. So when we read the scriptures and preach and proclaim the scriptures, we are proclaiming to the world, and I proclaim to you today, the teachings of the apostles who got their teachings from Christ so people must choose, what are you going to do with the teaching of Jesus? What are you going to do with the teaching of Jesus? Will you listen? Will you obey? What will you do with Jesus? The Jews of Peter's day did not listen to the Christ. So they needed to repent so that their souls would not be destroyed when the Messiah comes. And he makes all things right. If they repented, then they could enter into the time of refreshing and re restoration. 
But Peter says that this promise of restoration, it was all part of God's covenant with the Jewish fathers. He's talking about Abraham and God's promises to Abraham thousands of years before the time of Christ. Look at verse 25. He says uh, that it was made when God said to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So this is Peter referencing God's covenant promise to Abraham. You can read this in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. All the way back then in Abraham's day, God promised that one of Abraham's offspring would bring a blessing to all the families of the earth. He's the one who brings salvation. He's the one who's going to bring forgiveness of sin. He's the one who's going to bring eternal life. He's the one who's going to bring the times of refreshing and restoration to the whole world. And now Peter is saying, hey, you know what, Jews? That promised offspring has come. Verse 26, Peter says, God, having raised up his servant, talking about Jesus, he sent him to you first, Jews, to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So God had sent the long-awaited Messiah. He sent the Christ. The Messiah would be a blessing to all the earth, but it started with the Jews first. Jesus came to his own, but his own didn't receive him. He came to the Jew first, but also for the Greek. But part of the blessing that Jesus brought initially for the Jews, also made available to all men, was to help people turn from their wickedness and return unto God. In other words, Jesus came to bring the blessing of repentance. Jesus came to bring the blessing of repentance. We don't often associate repentance with a blessing, but it truly is. I, I get it. So many lost people in our world, they do not view repentance as a blessing. They kind of view it as a curse. Why would God want me to turn away from the things that I enjoy in life so much? Why would God want me to turn away from all my worldly pleasures, the things that make me happy, the things that I'm pursuing right now? In their mind, a loving God would never ask them to turn away from those things. So many unbelievers don't view the call to repentance as a blessing and a gift from God until God starts to change their heart. And they start to realize that the things of this world never satisfy. And we can pursue them all. The, you can be pursuing them right now. And there will be a longing in your soul that these worldly things will never satisfy the deepest longings in my heart. Which leads us to the first of our two takeaways. This is the, really the main point of Peter's message. This is the main primary takeaway from this passage. Here it is. First of all, first takeaway. Guys, let's receive the refreshing that comes from repentance and trust in Jesus Christ. Let's receive the refreshing, the blessing that comes from repenting and trusting Jesus. Guys, some, some of you might be here today and you might think to yourself, my life is anything but refreshed. Some of you might feel like you're at the end of your rope. You've been, if you're honest, you really haven't been living for the Lord. You know it. You've just been kind of living for the things of the world, pursuing your own dreams, your own ambitions, worldly pleasures, and yet you can't help but feel like you are at a dead end. Hey guys, what happens when you're driving and you hit a dead end? What do you gotta do? Turn around. What's it called when we turn around? Repentance. Repentance. Some of you who are here today need to turn around and return to God today. You've been running from him for too long. There's a longing in your soul that you know the things that you've been pursuing in life are not satisfying to you. If that's you, turn to Jesus 
And when you do, the scripture says, your sins will be blotted out. Gone, erased, paid for, piff. What a great sense of refreshing to have your conscience clean before God. To know that you can stand before him in judgment, accepted, destined for heaven, part of the people who will be part of the restored world. Trust in Christ. Repent and believe. Some of you used to walk closely with Jesus. I I talk to people fairly regularly who reflect on the good old days when their faith was strong and they have good memories of walking closely with Jesus. And you can remember those times, but you know in your heart you've been caught up in other things. Something besides the Lord has taken first place in your heart. You've been off track. I want to say this to you. Repentance isn't just for the unbeliever. Repentance is also for the believer who is strayed. And for some of you today, you may be believers, but you need to return to Jesus. Guys, return. Receive the blessing of repentance. Walk closely with Jesus. Repentance will lead to your refreshing. And for those of us who have believed and had our sins forgiven, there's just one other small point that I want to bring out from this text, and a pretty obvious one, but um, I think it's important for us as well. Guys, for those of us who are believers, how about this? When God does great things, let's be quick to give him glory. He deserves all glory, right? My boast is in the cross. In our text, God was using people like Peter and John to do amazing things in his name. Through his words, through Peter's words, a man was healed. Through their message, Christ was revealed to the Jews. Many people were repenting, thousands of people being saved. When that happens, when God does great things, the problem is is that too many times as Christians, we can kind of be glory hogs for ourselves, you know? We just, without even knowing it sometimes, our hearts can stray where we like the glory and the praise and the applause of men. That's what was going on. Well, that's, that's, that could have gone on in this text, right? The, the crowds were coming to Peter, coming to John, beginning to look to them as if they were the celebrity, as if they were the hero. And in today's culture, isn't it true that there, there really is a Christian celebrity trend in our culture today? We need to be very careful of that. We need to be careful about not getting caught up in that. Yes, God raises up people. He always has raised up people from the beginning of time until now who had great amounts of influence, who made a great amount of impact for the kingdom. You know, uh, but the most respectable and admirable Christian leaders are always still sinful men. They've merely been caught up in grace. So we ought not elevate men to a level where we're more interested in our favorite pastor or podcaster or author or Christian leader, we ought never be more interested in them than we are in Christ. And if you find yourself in a situation where God is using you mightily for some purpose, if we find ourselves that way, then let's be quick to never really pursue or even receive glory for ourselves. Let's be quick to give glory to God. We want people to know Christ and we want to be people who make Christ known, right? This ministry, church, 
the message of the gospel. It's not about us, is it? It's about Jesus. So church family, may God move in power to bring healing and restoration. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we say. May he grant salvation and repentance. And if you're here today and you need to be saved, trust in him. May he blot out all of your sins. And may we be quick to give him glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we can open your word and be encouraged by it, be challenged by it. Lord, we live in a world, Lord, where um, it is broken and we need, we need to, to, we want to see you at work in power, bringing salvation to the lost, bringing your kingdom and its principles and values and its behaviors to bear on this earth. Lord, let your will be done on earth now as it is in heaven. We do pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We long for the day of restoration and refreshing. But Lord, uh, I know that we, we can't even be part of the restoration that you'll bring unless our sins have been blotted out. So Lord, I wanna pray right now for anybody in this room who has never trusted you as savior. They've never repented or turned from their sins and trusted in the crucified and resurrected Christ. I pray that today they would repent, believe upon Jesus, be saved and have their sins blotted out and forgiven. And for those of us who have, Lord, we thank you for the great salvation you have given. Let us be a people that are quick to give you glory wherever we see you at work. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.